The scripture for this morning comes from Psalm chapter 3. You can follow along in your Bibles or in your worship guide. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You are blessing beyond your people. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series this week, uh, going through the Psalms. Uh, just the Psalms in a lot of ways uh, are kind of one-offs in a lot of ways, uh, which is perfect for the summer uh, for all of us that are kind of in and out a lot. Um, last week, Michael reminded us that the Psalms though they are almost like one-offs, they're also the songbook of God's people. They were always used in community to uh, sing together or at other times uh, to give voice to, to words together for, for God's people to, to recite together. And so because of this, Michael had uh, different musicians from throughout our congregation take each psalm of the series and arrange and write um, a song inspired by it. And so... Uh, both because it's a corporate thing. At the end of the sermon, we are going to sing and we're going to uh, recite Psalm 3 together. And then we'll, Kendra will come up and she will sing uh, kind of her interpretation of the psalm as well. And we're going to do this throughout the entire rest of the series. Um, a few weeks ago, I uh, came home from the office like I do. Typically, uh, when, when I finish my work day before bedtime, I take the afternoon shift with the toddler. And um, Lila and I were on the front porch like we do. She was like two at this point. So this was like four or five months ago. She's two and a half now. And we're just hanging out on the front porch when she decides that she's going to get a little more ambitious than she typically does. So she goes to the side yard and starts playing. And um, I say, Lila, come back. I need her to be in my eyesight because when she's in my eyesight, I can also be on my phone. Um, And... (laughs) I said, Lila, come back, please. And um, being the toddler that she is, she didn't. And she starts to keep going back and back. And so I was like, oh. so I stood up. I walked to the side yard and I start following her. And um, she did something that she typically doesn't do, uh, which was she turned the corner to the backyard. Now, this was not much more than just kind of an annoyance. And so I was like, Lila, come back. And so I walk and I follow her. And I turn the corner to my backyard, and mayhem broke loose. I saw, and and I'm not kidding, I saw a dog coming at Lila that I had never seen before, uh, running at her and knocked her down and was standing over her, snarling. And I went into, I don't even know what mode I went into. I ran at that dog and I somehow knocked him off her. He was about, you know, 40, 50 pounds. He wasn't huge or anything like that. I knocked him off her. I grabbed her, and she clung to me. I mean, like, 
body attached to me. And then Monty, my dog, comes running around the side and the mayhem really busts loose because he gets in a protective mode, but he's also kind of a wuss. And so like, (laughs) really, he was just like the sacrificial lamb and the other dog latches onto Monty. And so I'm sitting here holding Lila to me and I'm trying to hit this dog off Monty and Monty's yelping. And I mean, it's, it's chaos. Um, the dog's like biting at me, and I'm like literally putting Lila here, body here, Monty here, dog here. It's, I mean, it was nuts. And then um, Lila just terrified, screaming, Monty squealing. Uh, I'm squealing too. Andrea said she, she never heard what was coming out of uh, like the, the sound that my voice made. She comes running around the side. She takes Lila back into the house um, and Thankfully, the owner of the dog comes running through the backyard and puts a leash on him and pulls him away. And Monty and I go back in the house. Um, It was a kind of a terrifying event. Lila ended up being okay. She had a superficial scratch. um, And Monty had some bite marks on his tail. um, But we were assured that he had all his medicines and vaccinations and stuff. And everyone was okay. You know... A lot of you guys uh, know Lila. She's fierce. She's independent. She wants to do every single thing on her own. Uh, And, you know, I think that this was one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had with her. We've had medical scares that turned out okay. um, But I don't know if there's ever been another time where I viscerally, in the moment, felt like her life was in danger. But what I found interesting was that my first instinct, uh, not because I'm like a great dad or anything like that, but my first instinct was to put my body in, like, in between her and the danger. That nothing was going to touch her. And I, to her credit, the fierce, independent girl that she is, I don't know if it was because it was instinctual or if she was utterly terrified or what, she clinged to me like she was glued to me. I mean, we can't even open and close doors for her anymore. I mean, she has to climb into the own car seat by herself and buckle it herself. I mean, she's independent. But when danger came, when the fear welled up deep inside of her, she clung to her father like like white on rice (laughs) while I shielded her from danger. I've thought about um, fear this week a lot. How do I react... um, when I feel fearful. How often in my day do I allow myself to be ruled by fear? But I think the big question that I've asked myself this week, um, where do I go when I'm feeling that visceral fear welling up inside of me? Who or what do I turn to? And I think that question coming from this psalm is before you this morning too. When you feel that visceral fear inside where do you go? And the psalm shows us something about fear. David uh, specifically mentions it twice in the psalm. And he had every right to be fearful, actually. Uh, the psalm was written while he was on the run. His son Absalom was uh, staging a coup in Israel. He had turned against David. He, he had amassed this big army. He wanted to overthrow him. He wanted to kill his own father. And he wanted to be king. And David uh, wrote this psalm on the eve of battle. Think, think of these emotions that were going through David at the time. Uh, he was, am I going to lose my kingship? I was God's anointed. 
Am I a bad king? How could I have let this happen? And how many Israelites are going to die because of this? What if I die? And maybe worst of all, he may have been afraid of this question. Am I a bad father? And yet, through this psalm, uh, we see something in David. We see David crying out to the Lord in the midst of this persecution. Uh, that's why it's called, a, it, it's a psalm of lament, actually. Because he's crying out to God in his hurt and his fear. And yet, it's also a psalm of confidence. Because every time David mentions fear in this psalm, he always answers it with confidence in God's salvation and deliverance. And in that visceral fear that David felt, he calls God something powerful for us. And it's kind of the metaphor that's going to frame what we talk about today. He calls God his shield. Because he knows that there is nothing that will protect him, nothing that will save him, that will cover him in his fear like God Almighty will. So again, the question for us this morning, what about you? Where are you fearful this morning? And who or what are you turning to? Some of you, uh, you might be like me. And um, when times get difficult, you turn inward. Um, I'm sometimes like a turtle. uh, Arms and legs in the shell. Um, I don't let anyone in. I don't want to rely on anyone else. Because to move even an inch is too scary. And I feel like I lose control. Some of you may turn outward. When you feel fearful, you may turn to a person, uh, especially one that may not be helpful or healthy for you. Um, or if you're t- prone to turn outward, you may turn to a substance or something to numb your fear. And some of you may stuff it down. You act like you're never afraid, that nothing could ever truly touch you. And that fear is like a slow, deep burn inside of you, like water boiling under a lid, ready to boil up and overflow. But the hope of the gospel is this. When the brokenness of the world, including our own brokenness, is pressing in all around us, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, is our shield. He is our shield. Even today, in our present modern time, we are so covered by his grace, his love, and his sufficiency that he can become our strength when our fear makes us weak. He can be our sustenance when our, feel, our fear has made it feel like we can't go on anymore. And he can be our hope when we think all is lost. And this is how we're going to frame kind of our time together today. That Christ is and can be our shield in these times. And so we're going to look at three things. First, we must replace our fear with his strength. We must reject our fear and rely on his sustenance. And three, we must react to our fear with the hope of his salvation. So first, replace our fear with his strength. As I mentioned, um, there's a few different types of psalms that we see in the Bible. Uh, This psalm is considered a psalm of lament, but it's interesting for two reasons. First, it's interesting because it's an individual lament. Many of the laments, the kind of speaking about uh, the pain and brokenness that the psalmist is feeling, a lot of times are corporate laments. They're on behalf of all the people. Like the psalms were supposed to be recited or sung together corporately. So typically, laments are corporate. But this one is fascinating because it's individual and what i love about this idea david individually pleading for his personal salvation uh, what i love about it is that it gives us a tremendous amount of confidence that god listens 
to your and my cries to him. He doesn't turn a deaf ear to us. We are invited, even in our fear, to seek him, to cry out to him, to lament to him. Individually, he hears us. This is why um, he says in verses 1 through 3, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying in my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. You know, uh, David, maybe like me, was prone to turn inward when he was fearful or afraid. Um, And I think the temptation in that is that we're believing that we are the only things that can get us out of being afraid any longer. That it's me that's going to pull myself out of this thing. And his enemies, his son of their armies, are telling him the same thing. They're saying, there's no salvation for you, David, in God. Actually, it's just up to you. You're alone. There's no one there to help you. And I bet he felt that desire to pull himself out. He's the same guy who defeated Goliath as a kid. He's the same guy who was able to hide from the persecution of Saul, who was victorious over him. He's the same guy who God told him his name was going to become a dynasty forever. Every inch of his humanity was probably telling him that they were right, that he didn't need salvation from anyone else but himself. But we see the opposite of this in David. And I think that's the other fascinating thing about this psalm. He knows his victories and his strengths never come from within himself. His confidence is not in his abilities, but in God's strength, which is why he says in verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. We mentioned the shield piece earlier, but um, when he says that God is his glory, David is doing something really important. Um, he's reminding himself, by naming it, and to us, that uh, the promise that God made to him when he covenanted with him in Second Samuel 7 was this same idea. The promise that he would never leave or forsake him, that he would make his name great. That through David, God's glory would be shown throughout history. That's why he mentions the glory here. David can have confidence in God's strength rather than his own because he knows God's promise to bless him, to never leave him or forsake him is still true. And I think um, when we really let fear rule the day, we turn inward. And the lie that we believe is that we can rely on ourselves. And that we are sufficient to get through anything. And the truth about self-reliance and self-sufficiency is that that weight will crush us. But the hope of the gospel is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have confidence in Christ's strength rather than our own. Life is weighty. It, it, It really is. And because of the sin and the fallenness, sometimes it feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And some of you are here this morning and you're feeling like you are being crushed by that weight. It may be sin that you're entering into. It may be sin that was done to you in the past. It may be that the sin you see outside of yourself in the world that just feels like it's pressing in all around you. It may feel like it's impossible to be strong right now. That is where fear sets in. But the hope of the gospel is that you don't have to be crushed by the weight of that. 
You're not strong enough to handle it. I'm not strong enough to handle it. It is only Jesus Christ who was crushed by the weight of our sin who was strong enough to defeat his power by rising again. And this is how he's a shield to us, don't you see? When the weight of our lives, our struggles with parenthood, our failing or difficult marriages, our jobs that seem listless and endless, our anxiety and depression, when it comes crashing down on us, there's no way we could ever be strong enough to handle it all. Only Christ can. So how do we get to this point? How do we get to this point where we can replace that fear from the crushing weight of sin with Christ's strength? Well, I think David shows us. I think the first step is this. It's through intimacy with him. The last thing that David says in these opening verses, he, he talks about God being his shield, he talks about God being his glory, but he says this. He says that God is the lifter of his head. This is very, very intimate language. The image is almost of a, a terrified child in the corner, shaking, almost in the fetal position, terrified with his head down. And the father, his father, walking up to him or her, putting his hands beneath their chin and starting to lift their head and, 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 and the child being resistant, right? Because he's scared. And finally allows his head to be lifted and, and bathes in the warmth, the light, the love and strength of his father's gaze as he looks into his eyes. This is intimacy. And I think the first step of replacing fear with the strength of God is realizing that in your daily existential or everyday fear, God is walking towards you through Jesus Christ and he too is lifting your head and gazing into your eyes. This intimacy is the foundation of replacing fear with Christ's strength. And leads us to our second point. So we've seen that Christ is our shield in times of persecution. So we must replace our fear with his strength. And now we're going to see we must reject our fear and rely on his sustenance. Um, as, as I studied this psalm this week, I think the thing that um, stood out to me the most was this. David is surrounded by the armies uh, of Absalom who betrayed him and, and wanted to kill him. And the way that David wrote this, you can see that the battle had not quite happened between them yet, or at least not the, like, the final last showdown. So I just keep imagining David, and you can imagine this with me. He's in the tent, his army all around him, Absalom's army surrounding them. He's in a tent alone at night, stressed, anxious, and scared. And he begins to write this psalm, crying out to God. And I just, I, I think, like, I, it's really not in our context today. Um, I, I, maybe a sports reference that I won't even do, but just I'm trying to think if we could get ourselves in that mindset, what it would be like, right? Enemies all around us. It's the night of, you know, before it all goes down. And David says this, I cried a lot of Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept. Now, if we were in that situation, can you imagine sleeping, Right? Any of you this morning that struggles with fear knows one thing. It's the enemy of sleep. Nothing keeps us up at night like the deep fear of someone else uh, remembering that dumb thing we said years ago in high school chemistry class, right? Nothing keeps us from sleeping like fear does. 
And yet David somehow was so able to reject that fear in choosing instead to rely on God's sustenance so much that he said, I woke again knowing that the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And it's honestly kind of amazing. When he sleeps, he knows that the same precarious position he was in when he fell asleep will still be there. It hasn't gone anywhere. The enemies are still there. And yet he sleeps, trusting in God's sustenance over him. I love this because I can't, I I don't know if you're like me, but I can't get the idea out of my head that I will only find peace when my circumstances change. Right? That's when we can sleep. We'll we'll convince ourselves, oh, this will pass. This is not going to end. Once I get to next week and this big presentation's done, then I'll be able to sleep. When this relationship is finally figured out, then I'll be able to sleep. It's when our circumstances change, then we say that fear doesn't rule the day anymore. But that's actually, David's showing us the opposite is true. What he's saying is, only when we reject that fear in our circumstances and rely on God's goodness and his presence in them, will we be sustained. Will we find that peace that we're looking for? Um, one thing that I, I don't want to do is to deny us of our agency. Um, talking about fear and, and God's sustenance can in a lot of ways seem abstract. Even that idea of intimacy being the foundation, that's an abstract thing, right? But think about this. David still actually had to wake up and fight the battle the next day. It's not that he doesn't and we don't have agency in this thing because we, we do, we are called to serve Christ and his kingdom for righteousness and tandem with him. We are called to actually believe that God is with us. Like This is not something that doesn't call something from us. It does. But I think it starts at a heart level, which is why I started there in the first point. It's where our heart is oriented. Do we truly believe that God can sustain us in the night? Can we truly believe that we can reject our fear and find sustenance in him? But let's leave the abstract and get practical. How do we reject fear like David? I think the first is this. It's recognizing the presence of God with us at all times. Our core metaphor in the psalm is that Christ is a shield around us. But note that uh, David doesn't say that God is a shield in front of us. He says, God is a shield about us. A shield in front would leave your sides and and the back exposed, right? But Christ is a shield around us. That's a 360 degree coverage. This means that Christ's presence is all around us. It's not just out in front. It's when our fear comes at us from the side and we don't even know it. Or it sneaks up from us from behind and, and ambushes us. No, Christ's presence is all around us as our shield. What I love about art and um, even what we are doing here with putting the psalms to song at Hope Chapel is that um, it conveys something that perhaps speaking in a sermon wouldn't convey. I looked down at the bulletin right before I got up here to look at Kinder's song, which I, I haven't heard. Um, 
And the chorus is this. It says, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, King of my heart. Christ within me, Christ below me, Christ above me, never depart. You see, she got it. Christ is our shield all around us. And we must begin to recognize this as fear comes at us from every angle. Sinclair Ferguson, commenting on this passage, says this too. He said, we must, as God's people, begin to live with an ongoing and increasing consciousness that you are not alone, that Christ is with you, that his hand is upon you, that he's a shield not in front of you, but all around you, that he covers you completely with his love and grace, and there's nothing you can do to lose it. David went to sleep that night, free of anxiety and full of peace, not because he was, knew that he was the best warrior, he had the best army, because he knew in his heart that God was with him. That's why he could sleep and wake up and fight. So we got to see that he, his presence is with us. Second is uh, we can reject our fear and rely on assessments uh, by naming our fear. Some of you may be thinking, well, if Christ is ever present with us, why would we name our fears and our struggles to him? He already knows. And that is true. But man, it is so important for us to name our fears to the Lord. Because in naming it, this is what we do. We reject its power over us. There's something powerful about naming our struggles and our fear. And we know this instinctively, right? Um, It's why it's so hard to tell people when we've messed up or when we've sinned, or when we were wrong, and to even admit that. Because there's something about naming something that makes it real to us. And yet, David names his situation to God. He says, there are thousands around me, persecuting me, saying that there's no salvation for me, saying that I'm hopeless. David knew that God already knew this, and yet crying out to God and naming that fear allowed him to reject it and its power over him. And he went to sleep. Recognizing his presence. Naming that fear to him. And then finally, the final step of really surrendering and rejecting our fear is to finally let it go one day. David went to sleep. He didn't sit in his fear. He didn't let it have the last word or or never move past it. He actually did move past it. Trusting in Christ, sustaining goodness and power and grace as its strength and not his own. And, and don't hear what I'm not saying. My, my, my tendency is to go straight to this step often. That's the kind of turning inward thing. Like, I'm just going to move past it. Act like it didn't happen. Or I'm going to figure it out. We're going to be all right. So this is definitely not the first step. This is the last step. And it might take a very long time to get here and to work through stuff. But at some point, we've got to move past our fear and reject it. Sammy Rhodes is a, a pastor in Columbia and uh, so something that he, he'll tweet occasionally is that sometimes the holiest thing that you can do is take a nap. And I love that idea. Because what he's saying is that there's some level of peace and trusting in God's sustenance that we can put the weight of the world aside, trust that he's got it, and we can take a nap. There's something powerful there. So how do we reject fear? Uh, We recognize the presence of God with us at all times. We name it to him and give it to him. And then finally, at some point, when it is time, we move past it. And that is how we grow in trust 
and reliance on Christ's sustaining work in us. And that leads us to our final point. So we've seen that Christ is our shield, and because of this, we must replace our fear with his strength, reject our fear, and rely on his sustenance, and finally, react to our fear with hope. David says this in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O God. And he's doing something very purposeful here in starting the last two verses with arise, arise, O God. The word arise is the same word that he used to describe his enemies in the first verse. He said that they were rising against him. And what was that enemy's message to David? It was, God is not going to save you. There's no salvation for you in God. Absalom was trying to get a reaction out of David, trying to get in his head to scare him. And we see that David actually has the opposite reaction. By using the same words that Absalom used against him, saying, Arise, O Lord. He's communicating that he is not hopeless, that fear is not going to win the day for him, and that his hope is in the salvation that the Lord alone brings to him. And we just, um, two weeks ago, finished uh, the covenant series where we trace God's covenant throughout the Old Testament. Um, and, And one of my favorite things that I learned in studying that series was that David, or that God, perhaps more than anyone else, moved towards David in grace. And the whole point of that series is that God has always moved towards his people in grace, all the way back even to Adam. Um, But we probably saw the clearest view of what that grace looks like and how he moved towards David in relationship. And he spoke these incredible promises over David with no stipulations for David. He He spoke them over him. And, and I just imagine that as David is surrounded and full of fear, I wonder if those are the promises that he staked his life on when he asked God to save him. If you weren't here that week, it was from 2 Samuel 7. I just want to read these promises to you guys and hear them. Imagine being David in those tents and recalling these promises over himself. This is what God said to him. He said, I have been with you. Wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the names of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people of Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that to you, The Lord will make you a house, and when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his kingdom forever. I wonder when he was laying there with the enemies around him, he clung to those promises. It is those covenant promises Blessings that enable David to say and know at the deepest level that the Lord would rise before him and save him. And what I love about this and what I think is helpful for us is this simple reminder. It is God's promises over us that we must know on such a deep and foundational level that will give us the hope of salvation. Because it's with that understanding of the character of God, who he is and what he has said and what he has done that can enable us to move past our fear and hope in the salvation of God. 
We have an entire arsenal of weapons to fight fear in the Bible if we just allow ourselves to know how to use them, to allow that scripture to deeply saturate our hearts so that we both can know who this God is that we're in relationship with, but also so that in knowing him, we can reject the fear that comes at us from every side. But here's what else is true about this psalm. Um, Though that is the hope of my salvation and yours, it's actually the hope of all of God's people for salvation. David knew that God isn't in the business of saving individuals. He's in the business of saving a people. David was not just crying out for himself, but for all of Israel who were suffering immensely by this uprising. And we know this because David ends the psalm by claiming that salvation is found in the Lord. And then he says, your blessings be on your people. He doesn't say your blessings be on me. He says your blessings be on your people. The psalm is an individual lament, yes, but it ends in a corporate cry. It's not at the expense of a corporate. The individual always has to be seen in light of the community around it. This is what I love about that idea specifically. We, at times, here at Hope Chapel as a community, we're called to be one another's hope of salvation. The Bible tells us over and over that we are the body of Christ. The church is Christ's body. And if that means that Christ is our shield covering us, we too, at times, are called to be Christ's shield for one another. This is why we do what we do. This is the church. This is community. Because sometimes we have to inspire the hope of salvation in one another. So when we are fearful and hopeless, Christ has given us one another. When we are feeling alone and unworthy, Christ has given us a community where we can feel like we belong. When we have sinned and turned our back on him, Christ has given us a community to remind us what is true, that Christ still died for us. When we are anxious and depressed, yes, we need to look to counselors and professional help and medicine, but we also have one another in our pursuit of health. The psalm reminds us that the idea of Christ as a shield has bearing on how we move towards one another in community. So the question before each of us this morning is this. Who are you allowing to be Christ's shield to you in your fear? Who are you letting in? Who are you allowing and inviting into those places? And on the flip side... Who are you shielding this morning? Who can you be moving towards that needs you? Who do you know that's in need? And if you're in a place to give it, that you can come around them. Living in community both gives us something and calls something from us, depending on where we are. What does that look like for you? Um, perhaps I am more, and this is probably true, um, self-centered than most. Um, I've never really understood the idea of taking a bullet for someone. I love Andrea dearly, um, and I, I would take a bullet for her, I promise. Uh, sorry, babe. Uh, but I would think about it, you know? I would think about it. There's a lot of stake there. Um, 
when we were at Carowinds the other day, <laughs> this is funny, we were at Carowinds the other day, and um, I'm a big, like, I love roller coasters, and we were going up the big one, Fury 325, and I had this, like, moment of panic where I was like, oh my gosh, like, I've got a lot at stake here. Like, if I die, I've got kids and stuff. This is, this is kind of scary. One thing um, I've realized with having a child um, and through Lila's medical scares and her most recent running with the dog and I would take a bullet for either of my kids in a heartbeat. There's just, there would be no thinking about it. I'm so utterly devoted to them on a level that I've never experienced before that there's nothing that I would do to stop danger from happening to them. It's not even ex- instinctual. It's, it's just a part of who I am at this point. And I've never, I've never felt anything like that before. And if that's true of me on just a human level, imagine the Father's love for you. See, God knew what he was doing when, his, when he sent his son to earth. He knew the cost. And Jesus knew what he was getting into. And yet he died. He willingly died so that you could live. His love for you was so immeasurable that he didn't just take a bullet for, for you or for me, but he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross so that all of history, all of the world could be saved. If there's one thing we need to realize this morning um, about Christ being a shield around us, it's this. We can't save ourselves. And because we can't, God allowed his son to die. And he willingly did it. This is why we can repeat the words that David wrote here. Salvation is in the Lord. We do not have to be afraid because Christ is our shield even to the point of death. We do not have to be afraid because salvation is in the Lord. That is our hope. Um, will you stand with me now and we will recite these words of hope Christ being our shield around us together so speak it with me O Lord how many are my foes many are rising against me many are saying of my soul there is no salvation for him in God but you O Lord are a shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and He answered me from His holy hill. I lay down and slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. You may be seated.